So if you have your Bible, we will turn to uh, Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16. And the plan is to go through the whole chapter. 21 verses in all. But what I will do is just, we're going to go verse by verse to the end of the chapter and to, uh, <clears throat> to expound upon God's judgment and justice uh, that He will pour out on the earth. And as we have been learning throughout uh, the book up till now, that it is the judgment that He has been pouring out in, unto this fallen world. And then we're going to see after that how His judgment pouring out on the earth is used to display His holiness in heaven and what that means for us. So what that God is holy? What significance does that play in the life of a believer? And this is where we will be going to at the end of the sermon. Well, let, why don't we start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. When I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So what we have here, as we have uh, uh, previewed in chapter 15, the last of God's judgments. Last of the series of God's judgments. And this is what we are seeing. This is the conclusion of the, the seven judgments of God. Previously in Revelation, we saw the seven scrolls. And then the seven trumpets. And then to tie it all up, we have the seven bowls. And of course... Bible scholars and commentators are divided on whether those three series of God's judgments are distinct judgments, and some may say in chronological order, or are they all the same judgment seen from three different lenses? From our interpretation, it appears that it is the latter that the scrolls and the trumpets and finally the bowls, they are all the same thing. Outpouring of God's judgment on this wicked world for their crimes of treason against God and their crime of bloodshed of the saints. Seen from three different viewpoints. And as we went through last week. That is not uncommon. Remember, Daniel had the same dream in two different variations. God gave him a dream so that he would be able to interpret for King Nebuchadnezzar of the nations that were to come that played an integral role in Israel's redemptive plan. He first saw it means of a statue and then he saw the same exact dream through animals and creatures and it appears that this is what we are seeing here so let's go through the bowls 
The first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So the first bowl we have here, harmful and painful sores. Bodily harm on the flesh. Upon who though? It says upon those who received the mark of the beast. This was a couple chapters before. It is not a barcode. It's not a chip in the body. This is allegorical. Those who receive the mark of the beast are those who give their allegiance to this world. To ultimately the throne of Satan. So those who are lovers of this world, who will give up everything and anything, to, to obtain the things of this world, the things that this world can provide for them, they have taken the mark of the beast. Because if you have the love of the world in you, then you do not have the love of the Father. So the mark of the beast is allegiance of the people to the system of this fallen world. So what are these harmful and painful sores? We know that these sores, we looked at the, the scrolls and the trumpets and how they aligned almost perfectly to the plagues of Egypt. We know that sores came upon the, the, the land of Egypt in his sixth plague. And God's sixth plague upon Egypt, boils appeared on all men and livestock. But what we are talking about here, are they physical sores upon the body? Could be. Or it could be an allusion to some form of spiritual or psychological torment. Because these are people who do not have the Spirit of God residing inside of them. And those who are in Christ, who have the Spirit of Christ living in them, they also have the blessings of God, the peace of God, the provisions of God, the joy of the Lord. And all those blessings removed. They are exposed to the fiery darts of the enemy. And this could be what the harmful and painful sores are in reference to. That they are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became like blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who was and is, who was, who is, and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. 
And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So then we get to the second and third bowls, which are very similar in nature, turning blood from water. So all the, the water source of the earth turned to blood. <clears throat> the blood of the ocean and then the blood of the, the rivers and springs that are in the land. This, of course, was the first plague that God poured out on Egypt. When God turned the Nile famous Nile River that nourished the, the, the Egyptian empire and turned that into blood. And as we have seen previously in the trumpets, is it literally blood from water? What we have learned up to this point, we can't take everything literally in the book of Revelation. So, what does it represent? What is it a metaphor of? That it represents marine life disaster and famine. Marine life disaster and famine. Where the waters are so contaminated that it is undrinkable. It, it reminds me you guys remember in 2011, there was a major earthquake that hit Japan and followed by it, a great tsunami, destroying acres upon acres of land in, in Japan. And there was a nuclear plant there, the Fukushima nuclear plant. And due to the tsunami, there was a large explosion. And we know that the explosion sent deadly nuclear radiation into the Pacific. And scientists believe that it is still floating around to this day. And I remember when that happened. Everyone said, do not eat the fish. So all the fish in the sea, they have been hit by the, the nuclear radiation from Japan. That's something that happened miles and miles away affects us here in the United States. And throughout history, we have seen incidents of countless oil spills in the ocean killing marine life. And we see this even to this day. How about closer to home? The Flint water crisis in Michigan where the water there is undrinkable. It's killing people. It's making people sick in Michigan. The amount of contaminants and the amount of lead in the water there makes the water deadly. Or how about the New, the, the, the new Delhi River in Yamana, India? famous body of water where the Hindus come to wash themselves 
70% of that water is said to be polluted. And many people who enter that water or try to drink from it fall severely ill and die. And you have to wonder, why does God hit our water source? Why the water? And why is that the first plague that God hits to the Egyptian empire? Well, let's think about this. What percentage of our body is water? Very much like the earth. A big chunk. Between 70 to 80 percent of our body consists of water. We need water to survive. How and which means are you able to live longer without water or without food? You are a dead person walking if you do not get water into your body. You will die. So what God is essentially doing, He is hitting the source of humanity's livelihood. So unregenerate men and women who cling to uh, you know, their, their version of security on this earth, God strips them away from that. The very thing that they need to survive. Where they no, no longer have security. And making them doubt their hope of survival. Now what is very interesting is that COVID did a very similar thing, didn't it? Imagine, I mean, just look back at how the pandemic struck at the heart of men. And we see, why is God doing this? Yes, because of their sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for making themselves God. But we also see in the, the prayer of the angel over the waters. It was what they deserved because the world is responsible for the shedding of the blood of the saints. So again, getting back to the truth that this world is not our friend. This world belongs temporarily to Satan. It does the bidding of Satan, not God. And because of it, the world is hostile to the truth. It's hostile to Jesus Christ and His followers. And so this is why we see around the world, even as I speak, the death count of the saints going up. Second by second, minute by minute. Christians treated harshly. It says, true and just are your judgments. The Lord is true and just in pouring out His judgment on the earth. Because He is the defender 
of his saints. He is the defender of his people. Then we get to the fourth bowl. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. And so the fourth bowl, that being the sun scorching the earth with its immense heat, this being tied to the seventh Egyptian plague, where there was a storm of hail mixed with fire coming down from heaven. Now when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament language of God's judgment is always tied and connected to fire. We're reminded of this many times before. Fire represents God's wrath. We know that it is not literally the sun scorching all the inhabitants of the earth. No. If this, the, the scorching heat of the sun represents the wrath of God, <clears throat> the fire and brimstone imagery that we have here, then it is similar to the source similar to the first bowl. Death and bloodshed of the people. Exposing themselves to the attacks of the enemy. And there will be bloodshed through natural disasters and wars. And what we see here, that this type of wrath is designated for those who are outside of the family of Christ. And those who are afflicted by this are not part of the 144,000, those who have been elected by God Himself. God promised this, Revelation 7:16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. This is, as I mentioned, not physical torment per se, but psychological torment, emotional, mental torment. It is this type of torment that sends people into the, you know, the mental institutions. It, this is the type of torment that has people searching frantically for peace, to be whole again. And instead of searching God, they look to alcohol and drugs and other means that only this fallen world can provide. Temporary things. But they're illusions. It only makes the matters worse. It is these, this group that will never experience true peace on the earth that will never experience true joy on the earth. Because they are separated from God. 
And because they are separated from God, they do what they do best. And that is to curse and mock God. In the midst of their afflictions, what do they do? They do not repent. They curse the name of God. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. They did not repent for they did not repent of their deeds. That being verse 10 and 11. So we have the fifth bowl. Fifth bowl. Darkness over the throne of the beast. Being the throne of Satan on the earth. This being the ninth plague of Egypt. Where for three days there was complete darkness. And we know again it is not literal darkness where you can't even see your hand. Darkness in the Bible is always in reference to something spiritual. That being spiritually blind. To be spiritually lost. John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the life, the light of life. So we see the dichotomy here. Light and darkness. Life and death. Being found and being lost. This is what darkness represents. That these are people who are spiritually lost, who are spiritually blind, and who do not have the light of life inside of them. We also see it is symbolic of God giving them over to their passions and disillusionment. Romans 1.28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So God removed His providential hand from them so that they will continue to live in darkness, to live in their disillusionment. And again, we see here, unregenerate doing what it knows what to do, naturally. Cursing God once again for the pains and sores, for the anguish that they experience on the earth. That we see from the first book. Again, all of this designated for those who do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who are outside of the family of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we get to the sixth pole. 
angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Okay. So we have uh, much commentary surrounding the sixth bowl here. Namely because of this uh, war. Armageddon. <coughs> well, let's uh, exegete the text and see what it's really talking about. We've heard the Euphrates before, earlier in Revelation. And the Euphrates River, as I said, if you were a Jewish reader, you understood this to be linked to one king in particular. King Cyrus. King Cyrus, the Persian king. Where he crossed the Euphrates, he was the king from the east, and he crossed the Euphrates to attack the Babylonian Empire. This is what Daniel dreamt. Isaiah 41, 2 says that King Cyrus was raised up by God to punish the Babylonian Empire. And in Isaiah chapter 45, 1, Cyrus is referred to as God's Messiah or Anointed One. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing wars where nation rises up against nation, where kings raising their sword against other kings, men raising their fist against other men. This world is far from the utopianistic vision that many people have. People, inhabitants of this world, envision a world free of violence, where we could live in complete peace and harmony. The fact of the matter is, as long as we are on this earth, and until Jesus Christ comes again and God makes everything new, we will live in continual violence and turmoil. There will be much violence and much bloodshed, not just in our nation, but worldwide. And who is behind all this, causing men to rise up against men? 
we see here the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, this is the first time where we uh, see the false prophet. Where it makes mention of the false prophet. We do not see or hear about him previously. Well, we know the beast. So we know the dragon and Satan himself. And the beast could be the second beast. Much like the role that King Nero, Emperor Nero played in causing the whole empire to worship Satan. And the false prophet. The false prophet. Being someone who comes in the name of God, but speaks for Satan himself. So the false prophet are those who, who will come to deceive the church. They are, in essence, wolves in sheep clothing. They are the wolves who have come to devour the, the fold and to lead men and women astray, to lead them away from the protection and the provisions of God. Now why, why we have the three individuals here, the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, is because it is supposed to mirror the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you see, uh, once again, Satan exposing himself to be unoriginal. Everything Satan does is an exact duplicate of what God does. He just does the reverse. So we have the Holy Trinity, and then we have here the unholy Trinity. Satan doesn't have an original ounce of thought in his brain. Just copies whatever God does, doing the opposite. And these unclean spirits came out from their mouth frogs. <laughs> frogs. Now why frogs? Well, we know frogs was the second, infestation of frogs was the, the second plague of Egypt where God literally sent frogs <clears throat> to roam around the, the empire, entering people's bedrooms. But we see something else. You guys know that there are only two plagues that the Egyptian magicians were able to replicate? Only two. What were they? It was the first plague and the second plague. So the magicians were able to turn water into blood to say, hey, oh, Moses, not a big deal. We can do that too. And the second plague. Frogs. So frogs, historically, 
has been associated with deceptive spirits. Deceptive spirits. That frogs were to represent trickery and the fooling of the minds of the lost. They were a product of, of dark magic of Satan himself. And so Satan is going to woo the world, the fallen world, the unregenerate, with deceptive words. And he will show them many signs and wonders so that they will fall deeply in awe of Satan. And his influence will go throughout the entire world. And this is why we see the world in the state that it is right now. And this is why we have seen the state of the world in antiquity past. That you look at your history book filled with much bloodshed and violence and many, many wars. Who is behind it? The deceptive agenda of the enemy. Then we have in parentheses, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. <coughs> why is that in parentheses? And why is... Jesus, the words of Jesus added here to remind the reader that Christ is coming. That though there is no hope for the unregenerate, there is true and genuine hope for those who trust in Him. And he says, time is coming. Prepare yourselves. And to finish it off, verse 16, and they assembled at a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. We have uh, a lot of uh, contemporary <coughs> commentaries that say that this is the final battle of the earth, the battle of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon, which will be the angels of God versus the, <coughs> the, the, the kings of the world. Armageddon in Hebrew literally means the Mount of Megiddo. And so Megiddo is a literal place on earth. Megiddo is a famous plain. And it is famous for many Old Testament battles. But what is interesting about this place is that it is two days walking distance north of Jerusalem. Why do we not think that this is literally where the final battle of the earth is going to take place? And why it is symbolic? For a couple of reasons. According to Zechariah, the final battle of the earth 
is going to take place not in Megiddo, but in Jerusalem. So who's right? Is this Revelation right or is Zechariah right? But the Mount of Megiddo is actually a misnomer because there is really no mountain in Megiddo. There's only one mountain that is close to the vicinity of Megiddo, and it is the famous mountain, Mount Carmel. We read this in 1 Kings. You guys remember the famous mountain where Elijah faced off against the Baal worshippers. And Megiddo is a place where we see in Judges 5, in Five, where God intervened on God on Israel's behalf. I think they were fighting the Amalekites. And God stepped in and intervened. And much like Mount Carmel, God stepped in and intervened. And so, it appears that Megiddo is a typology. It is to represent... Ooh, I got disconnected. Oh, there we are. Okay, I'm back on. Okay. So, Megiddo is to represent God's intervention in time of need, in time of trouble, in time of trials where God is going to be fighting the battle. And so this is what Armageddon is going to represent. And we get to the seventh angel. He pours out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such that there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the blood of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven, on people, and they cursed God for the plagues of the hail because the plague was so severe. So we have the final plague, the final judgment, the seventh bowl to be poured out on the earth. And it appears that this judgment has come to its conclusion where God says it is done. And it is accompanied by flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Now, what, where have we seen these before? We have seen these in God's throne room, in heaven. Revelation chapter 4. In the presence of God, we see lightning, peals of thunder. That God's very presence his righteous judgment will be poured out on the earth, which will precede 
the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. It says the world will be completely destroyed by this great earthquake. It says the great city was split into three parts. What is this city? Babylon the Great. And what is Babylon to represent? <clears throat> Not some place in modern-day Iraq. It, Babylon is symbolic of the world system. That the world is the enemy of God. So this earthquake, God is going to shake up the world. And this could be a precursor to when God is going to make all things new. He's going to give the heavens and the earth an upgrade. That this is in preparation for the final and utter destruction of the earth with fire. May we see hailstones that fall from heaven. We saw this elsewhere in the Old Testament. Joshua 10.11 where the Israelites are fighting the Amorites. And God intervenes for Israel by sending hailstones to demolish the Amorites. But it was this particular battle which would lead them into the land of Canaan. It was that battle that would lead them into the promised land. So it appears that this judgment right here is a precursor for the, the people of God to enter into the presence of God. Or it is it. It is the end of the world as we know it. Where people will go before the great white throne judgment or the bema seat of Christ. And this great city is broken into three parts. Again, remember, I don't think it's literally three parts. Remember, three, a number of completion. That it will be an utter and complete destruction of the world. And to wrap it all up, we made sense of, or attempted to make sense of the bowls. But now let's step back and see the big picture. Let's ask the same question we asked last week. Why is God doing all of this? Is there a need for God to do all of this? Why is the God of love being a God of anger and a God of destruction? And to highlight what we have learned last week, it is to highlight his holiness and to demonstrate to the world that there is no one who could match his power and stature and we who have been saved by his grace we celebrate and acknowledge that about our God And God does this. God does things that we think, wait a minute here, it doesn't seem to fit the MO of God. That is to 
prove that he is just, that he is holy, that he is set apart from all of creation, that he is the mighty and perfect judge. An example of this is found in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And let me read it for you guys. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron, who is the high priest, took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And so Aaron, who was the spokesperson for Moses, becomes the high priest for Israel, and then consecrates his own two sons to the service. And his two young boys offer unauthorized fire to the Lord. And some commentators believe that they were drunk while doing this. And it says that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. What is God telling Aaron, who is probably, his heart has been broken into pieces because the death of his own sons. What is Moses telling Aaron? Thus says the Lord, I will be holy before you guys. I will be glorified before you guys. You will not make a mockery of my name and no one will make a mockery of my perfect laws. This is how seriously God upholds His righteous name and His perfect laws. And it says, Aaron, hearing this, Aaron held his peace. There is nothing Aaron could say in response to this. He cannot say, but God, isn't that a little too harsh? Couldn't you have just given those young boys a warning? Why kill them? Because he understood the agenda, the prime agenda of God. present himself holy and majestic before all his creation, that he will be glorified before all people. So it is for his glory and his holiness that his judgments must be poured out. It is necessary. And this is a lesson not just for the unregenerate, but for believers. Because this truth causes us to bow the knee before God, to fall prostrate before Him, and to develop inside of us a reverent fear of God. To have in our very presence a being so powerful that with the snap of His finger, with the very thought, could consume you. And when it says, Heron held his peace, also means that no words could come out of his mouth. 
that we remain silent before this holy and majestic God who must, must defend His holiness through His judgments. Imagine being in the presence of someone with that much authority and power. And that, my friends, is a picture of His holiness in which no man can stand upright. So the judgments that we see, may it draw a clear picture of who God is. May it develop inside of us reverent fear of this mighty God that we serve. And worship that attribute of His holiness. We're going to sing the response song. And as we do, may, may we meditate upon that specific attribute 